After just having celebrated the wonderful holiday of Thanksgiving, it is good for us to reflect on what we owe Christ as King. Back in 1925, Pope Pius XI wrote an encyclical, and in there he commented on how in the creed we say, and his kingdom will have no end. Speaking of Christ. Now those words, 1600 years before the Pope wrote that encyclical, were enshrined in the creed of Nicaea in 325 when bishops from around the ancient world gathered and proclaimed the fundamental truths of our faith in what we could call a compendium or a synopsis of the faith. We know that creed today as the Nicene-Constantinople Creed, which we pray each Sunday. Now, if there is a kingdom, within that kingdom there must also be laws. That there is a kingdom is abundantly proved or provided for in scriptures. In the prophet Daniel, when the king has that vision of this statue, and there's a rock that comes out from the mountain, not hewn by, by any hand, it breaks that statue to pieces. And Daniel interprets this for the king, that this rock symbolizes that there will rise up a kingdom not made by human hands, that will last forever. Furthermore, in the promise that is given to David, a descendant shall reign upon your throne forever, and that of his kingdom there will be no end. In the Psalms itself, we see hints of this, of the everlasting kingdom of Christ, even more abundantly in the New Testament. So the creed, when we proclaim those words, and his kingdom will have no end, is a summation of what the scriptures, all the indications that God gives us in the scriptures. What are those laws or those rules of the kingdom of Christ? We find them in several places. In the Beatitudes, in those, blessed are you if you do this. Those are, in a certain sense, the charter or the indications of what the kingdom is to look like. But then also in today's gospel from Matthew, where we see the people being judged based on how they have served Christ or failed to serve Christ in their neighbor. And this is an important thing for us to remember, that all humanitarian activity for a Christian is really a serving of Jesus Christ, the King. Whether it is in the person who is starving, or who is hungry, does not have enough to make ends meet. Whether it is in the instructing of those who are ignorant, or helping those who cannot in some way help themselves. Whether it is in helping provide housing, or in some far off uh, place, or nearer to home, helping those who have gone through some disaster. We don't just do these things because they're good things to do but we do them because we're serving Christ. And this is part of the, the problem of um, modern philanthropy or modern giving is that it's lost its basis. It's good that we do these things. It's important that we do these things. But we must never forget 
who we are doing them to, who we are doing them for. Interestingly, both the sheep and the goats, those on the right and on the left, answered the Lord in a similar way. When did we see you? When did we clothe you? When did we give you drink? The ones who are condemned think that they are justified because they never saw Christ. The ones who did help their neighbor see it only as their obligation, only as too little. They could have done more. Yet they are blessed, they are confirmed in grace, and the others are condemned because of their lack of charity. Another thing that we can sometimes do is that we can give to others because it makes us feel good. We do it because then we feel generous. We have this feeling of feeling better about ourselves. We're not feeling so guilty about the way we indulge ourselves. That too is a, a way that needs to be converted by Christ. That we give not because of what it gives to, back to us, but we give out of love. Now there are the corporal works of charity which have been mentioned here in the gospel. There are also the spiritual works of mercy. So praying for those, for instance, the living and the dead, especially during this month of October when we've been commemorating all of those who have, dece been, who have deceased, who have gone before us, marked hopefully with a sign of faith. Praying for those who we know who are struggling, family members, friends, peoples. In a special way today, our bishops have asked us to mark this day as a day of prayer for suffering Christians, persecuted Christians throughout the world. This whole week, in fact, is dedicated to awareness of persecuted Christians. It'll go up through next Saturday, through December 2nd. The Knights of Columbus, in conjunction with others, also are supporting the bishops in this endeavor and helping spearhead this. There was a beautiful article, if any of you are knights, I'd encourage you to go look this article up in the America Magazine, in the, uh, or Columbia Magazine, rather. In the Columbia Magazine, it talked about some of the rebuilding that is being done in Iraq. There's a, a little town that, in particular, they talked about uh, Kramles, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but there the people had um, been driven out several years ago, by militants, they're now starting to be able to re-enter the town, and they, the Knights of Columbus are helping them to foot the cost to rebuild their homes, their churches. There's one priest there who was having to restore the church. The marble altar had been ruined by bullets that had been shot into it. Images had been desecrated. He said he was going to leave a little bit of the black chard over the doorposts and the sides to remind the people. The rest of it restore, though. Our Christian brothers and sisters, in a very real way, deserve our support first. They have suffered for the faith. They have suffered for the kingdom. And in a real way, we ought to support them. So during this week, I encourage you to become more aware of the plights of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. It's not just in, in uh, the Middle East. There it's particularly acute. 
but in Asia as well, particularly in China, where faith is suppressed, where people are thrown in prison for, for practicing their faith. We need to become aware of this. We need to pray for them, first of all, support them by our prayers, but then where we can, also by uh, financial means. If you look up the, on the USCCB, the United States Catholic Bishop's website, you can find out more about some of the activities that are going on this week, or just become more aware. You can also um, look up on the Knights. Uh, they've had a website. It's called ChristiansAtRisk.org, and you can find out more what is going on as well. In the logic of God's um, justice and mercy, those who show mercy to those who are Suffering, especially our fellow Christians, obtain mercy as well. If we fail, though, to enlighten ourselves about these atrocities that are taking place, and if we fail to take action, we also put ourselves in the place where God's divine justice will have to be meted out to us. One of the greatest ways that we can, in a certain sense, therefore provide for our own spiritual and physical well-being is to take mercy on those who are in need. At the end of this homily, I will go down in front of the altar and pray a prayer, and I invite you then at that point to kneel down with me, consecrating ourselves to the sacred heart of Jesus and to his kingly heart, placing ourselves under his kingdom. And I'm going to end with these words from Pope Pius XI. He has this to say about uh, nations and kingdoms, peoples, and their need for Christ the King to be acknowledged by them. With God and Jesus Christ, excluded from political life, with authority derived not from God but from man, the very basis of that authority has been taken away because the chief reason of the distinction between ruler and subject has been eliminated. The result is that human society is tottering to its fall because it has no longer a secure and solid foundation. When once men recognize both in private and in public life that Christ is king, society will at last receive the great blessings of real liberty, well-ordered discipline, peace, and harmony. Our Lord's regal office invests the human authority of princes and rulers with a religious significance. It ennobles the citizen's duty of obedience. Wherever Christ is acknowledged as king, there is order, there is peace. It begins by first consecrating ourselves and then seeking to allow that consecration to extend to society, to our nation, and to the world. Act of Dedication of the Human Race to Jesus Christ, King Most sweet Jesus, Redeemer of the human race, look down upon us, humbly prostrate before you. We are yours, and yours we wish to be but to be more surely united with you. Behold each one of us 
freely consecrates himself today to your most sacred heart. Many indeed have never known you. Many too, despising your precepts, have rejected you. Have mercy on them all, most merciful Jesus, and draw them to your sacred heart. Be King, O Lord, not only of the faithful who have never forsaken you, but also of the prodigal children who have abandoned you. Grant that they may quickly return to their father's house, lest they die of wretchedness and hunger. Be king of those who are deceived by erroneous opinions, or whom discord keeps aloof, and call them back to the harbor of truth and the unity of faith, so that soon there may be but one flock and one shepherd. Grant, O Lord, to your church assurance of freedom and immunity from harm. Give tranquility of order to all nations. Make the earth resound from pole to pole with one cry. Praise to the divine heart that wrought our salvation. To it be glory and honor forever. Amen.